But what I learned was that neither side of the aisle really wants to fix education. The left wants it as it is to indoctrinate our children and create a hate for our country. The right just wants, they don't want them educated. They want them job trained. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and my husband, Mark Archer, will be joining me today as usual. Yes, this is a husband and wife podcast. Husband and Wife Podcast. (laughs) Where we invite you to come alongside us and join the journey if you're willing. Join the journey if you're willing. (laughs) Oh, join, join the journey and mission of making documentary films about the issues eroding our society and taking a stand for biblical values. You can watch our latest documentary film, Inwood Drive, at our website by visiting fearlessfeatures.org, and you'll see it there. Or it's also available on Amazon Prime if you're a subscriber. So let's get this show rolling as we share more of our interviews from our current production, The Mind Polluters. Mark, Mm -hmm. you want to tell everybody who may not know what The Mind Polluters documentary film is going to be about? Sure. The Mind Polluters is about the over-sexualization of our children and our culture through the education system. Mm -hmm. And it started off just us questioning what we learned about something called comprehensive sexuality education, Mm -hmm. which led to investigating social emotional learning. And that's just led us all the way down the rabbit hole here. The rabbit hole. Crisscrossing the nation. The rabbit hole of education in general. Yes. I mean, you just you I don't even know the can of worms. It's like it's not even a can anymore. <laughs> well, the roots of this just go so deep and they they're so twisted on top of each other. And we've we have just talked to so many fascinating people and that we've shared here on this podcast. Yeah. And one of the reasons why we share so much of what we're recording, you know, what what you're hearing is audio straight from our on-camera interviews Mm -hmm. that we're doing for the film. And the reason that why we're sharing is because we want to educate all of you as we go along, because Because what's our, what's, what's our mission? Educate, motivate, and inspire. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. too important for us to just sit on this stuff. And like, we got some proprietary, you know, secret formula here. Listen, people need to hear this. And when we hear it, we want other people to hear it. And frankly, when you get a film like this done, you have so much footage that doesn't make it into the film. Mm -hmm. And we want to honor the time commitment that people have made uh, to sitting down with us and let as much of this be heard as we can. Mm -hmm. It's just that important. So that's why we have, you know, three, four and five part series with individuals that we're interviewing. Yeah. And so this is. Uh, today's going to be part one of a four-part series with one of our Arizona interviews, Diane Douglas. Yes, Arizona. So we didn't really, we haven't said much about going to Arizona, mm-hmm. but we had two big interviews there. And what an epic journey that was. We drove. We drove. With yeah, our children. Because we take our children with us. <laughs> Faith, family, and filmmaking. <laughs> it was a family trip in the family truckster. <laughs> And uh, we did take a little time for a brief vacation to the Grand Canyon. Watch the sunrise over the Grand Canyon on Easter morning. Easter morning. Mm -hmm. Can't even describe. It was pretty incredible. The just seeing the seeing the sun come up over the Grand Canyon and, 
you know, when you see the Grand Canyon, what you're seeing as a believer, you know that the Grand Canyon is the remnants of the Lord's wrath. Absolutely. It's a, it's a scar on the earth from the flood. Mm-hmm. And to see his mercies come up and shine down on that and make something beautiful out of it. His mercies are new each morning. Yeah. It's just just breathtaking mm-hmm. to see. And it's a, it's a pretty big hole. <laughs> so <laughs> it's really something to see. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely worth if you haven't been. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I I wished that the mask nonsense weren't going on because I really wanted to ride the Grand Canyon Railway, but I wasn't going to sit on a train for two hours with a mask while I'm looking at the Grand Canyon. I'm sorry. Well, I think it's it's interesting where the Lord has led us and being able to go and see the Grand Canyon and, you know, the remnants of the flood. And then here soon we'll be interviewing Ken Ham and visiting the Ark Encounter. <laughs> visiting the Ark again. In, in yeah. Kentucky. So it's it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Yeah. But if you haven't been to the Ark Encounter, yeah. oh my word, you have to go. That That is a life-changing experience. experience. It really is. To see... To see a replica of the Ark, life-size, just makes it all very real. Genesis becomes alive. Yeah, it is as it is as first class as any any theme park that you've ever been to, um, and it's all biblically based. And you know, your kids are not going to get led down the rabbit hole of evolution. It is all firmly rooted in Scripture. I can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to Diane. So back to Diane. So Diane, uh, we got connected to because she's part of publicschoolexit.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted to talk to her because she spent four years as the superintendent of public instruction for the state of Arizona. So she That's was the highest office she of was education. At a pretty influential level. Yeah. And, um, She's fascinating to talk to because she has quite a unique perspective mm-hmm. on this, having dealt with that level of uh, of interaction with the education system. Um, one of the interesting things, as I w- was pulling together her interview for this part one, I, I had a thought of an experience that I had right after we met where I was teaching a course for junior high kids at one of the science centers here in town Mm -hmm. on filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time that I ran into this, um, this mindset of trying to force things that can't be forced because it doesn't work. Um, give us an example. So, I was, they had, they were trying to write a grant to have me teach this, this was a, I don't know, a six or eight week class, uh, like once a week, uh, at their facility to teach kids just the basics of how to, how to make videos, right. And beginning filmmaking course. And so I wanted to have the kids do something to show that they were interested, that they were going to put some effort into it. So I suggested some kind of 
some kind of artistic expression. Mm -hmm. I left it pretty wide open. They could write something. They could sculpt something. If they had a camera, they could make a video. They could draw a picture. They could paint, whatever. Something to show their artistic, you know, that they, that they're, that they're somehow committed to learning this process. And it was just for kids, right? It's not, it's not like a super intense <laughs> film finance workshop, right? And I gave this list to them and they came back a week or so later and they said, well, uh, you can't have on there, you have to allow them to be able to have somebody else write for them. Right, because you would ask them to some sort of like essay. Right, just like a one one or two paragraphs. Just why do you want to be in this course? Right, just just basic like application letter kind of thing. And I said, well, why why would you do that? And they said because some of these kids might not know how to read and write, and that's not fair. That's what, and that's not fair to them. And I and I said, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. If you don't know how to read and write you're going to have a really hard time learning how to make movies. That's a big part of what we do. Yeah. We read things, we write scripts. Uh, you have to, you have to understand dialogue and, and study literature. I mean, you, you, you can't just go into this being an illiterate. And this is, this is where I, I basically put my foot down and I said, no, I'm not budging on this. I can't teach kids. Listen, I'm sorry if they don't know how to read and write, but this is, I guess you can consider this an advanced class. If you don't know how to do those things, this class ain't for you. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I ran into this nonsense of, uh, you know, trying to trying to cover for the the failures of the education system. I know, and, 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 and it's so sad. It was really sad. It's extremely heartbreaking to even think that. And this is why kids keep getting passed along and, mm -hmm. it, and it doesn't get better. Right. And, you'll, you know, it gets swept under the rug and we have to continue to make all these exceptions. Yeah. There's no there's no personal responsibility aspect and nobody's being held accountable for the failures. Mm -hmm. It's. It's usually it's the students' fault. It can't be it can't be the schools. Right. And, and and I'm not bashing the schools. There are really good schools. But I'm just saying as a whole, like and she Diane goes on and talks about fifty-six percent of third graders in the state of Arizona can't read or do arithmetic. Right. And that's exactly what I was running into because the people that were writing this grant, they knew those I, I don't think it was that bad then in Indiana. But they knew, and I didn't know. I was I was just going along, assuming mm -hmm. if you're in seventh eighth grade, you you know how to read and write by mm -hmm. now. I mean, I don't expect you to be Shakespeare, but you I should be able to know the basics. Th there are a, there are far too many assumptions mm -hmm. for those of us who are already out of school. You know, parents, grandparents, and yeah. you know, we assume that what's being taught is for the good and they're actually learning. Yeah. And what we've learned is that, uh, and we keep, we keep harping on this is that even the, this shift that we're talking about is very recent. Mm -hmm. It's within the past 10 years in most yeah. cases. Yeah. So most parents don't even know. Grandparents certainly don't know that the, the shift that has happened, it is not even the same. Like one yeah, of go the things, back and listen to, to Morris's interview. Yeah. And one of the things you'll hear Diane talk about is 
um, we're not talking about sex education. No. Okay. We're not, this is not sex ed. This is not sex ed like you and I had, which was biology. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that you'll hear Diane talk about is that we've gone from sex ed being biological explanations to now sexual instruction. Mm -hmm. We've gone from. Which is why we're making the mind polluters. Right. People need to know. We have gone. Listen, if you, if. If you had sex ed in in school and your sex ed was, you know, here's the basics, here's the biology and that, you know, an explanation of the human body. That's not what they're getting now. What they're getting now is literal sexual instruction, Mm -hmm. how to have sex. Mm -hmm. That's what they're being taught. Mm -hmm. That's why we're making the mind polluters. Because it is polluting the mind. It's it's wicked. It's so deceptive. It is 100% perverse and wicked and straight from the pits of hell. Mm-hmm. And that is why we need people to understand. to understand and join us on this journey and rise up. Even if you don't have kids in school or grandkids in school, you can do something it's to get involved. It's destroying our society. This is destroying it is destroying the moral fabric of our society, and this is this is why when we see all of these boneheads in the media, and we, we watch people that we have all this faith in, and then they do something just stupid, just dumb, and you go, what are you doing? It's because as a society, we've lost our collective marbles because we turned our backs on God. We don't have a moral rooting anymore. We just have syncretism. And and everybody has been conditioned to not say anything. Yeah, we've been we've been browbeaten. Uh, I mean, it could go on and on. In a couple of weeks, when we've got one of our next interviews on, we're going to talk about what it means to man up. Oh my goodness! And what it means <laughs> you guys are love to really, Craig. <laughs> really, yeah, we're going to hear from Craig, the Sawman Sawyer, mm-hmm. former Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. But for the, next, six, but, right now? Team, but for, for the next two weeks, we're talking to Diane and she's awesome. So let's hear from Diane. My name is Diane Douglas, and I have had the honor and privilege to serve Arizona as its superintendent of public instruction from 2015 to 2018. Um, but I came to that place, that position, literally by having served on just about every rung of the education ladder. I'm not a certified teacher. I taught um, an arts, specialty arts area for many, many years, but not in the public education system, or as I call them now, the government school system. Um, I started out as a parent volunteer when my daughter was in kindergarten, um, and I've had three epiphany moments, very briefly, uh, that got me on the road that led ultimately to the highest office in Arizona for education. And the first one was when a friend's second grader was going to be held back, even though she had B's and C's on her report card. And I learned about a little thing called outcome-based education. And I wasn't as good as holding my tongue then as I am now. And I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of to a school administrator. Um, then when my daughter got in kindergarten, I she, they taught her phonics. They taught her how to read with letter sounds, which is something I had never been given. And I suddenly, like that, knew why I had struggled with reading all my life. 
and although I am a voracious reader now. And then the last thing was when my daughter was in second grade, we had a PTA meeting. And the principal very proudly stood up and said in that meeting, I'm so proud to tell you some astronomically high number of our fifth through eighth graders in a K-8 school received a certificate of merit um, for this marking period. And I had a second grader at the time, so I went, like that to the person next to me and said, what's a certificate of merit? And they said, that means they all got eight, 70, 70 or 80% of the student body, fifth through eighth grade, got all Bs or higher on their report card, not B average, all Bs or higher. Being a former finance person, the thought that went through my head was, holy cow, they're cooking the books. And from that day forward, the grades my daughter received on her report card never mattered to me. It was what she could prove to me. She's in second grade, she should be learning this. Can she show me that she has mastered that? And I basically evaluated her. But that got me involved in PTSAs. I served as officers. We have things in Arizona called site councils, which are supposed to help our local schools make decisions. Um, but the parents don't get that much input, but I served on those. Ultimately, after she graduated, I ran for our local governing board and served eight years on the Peoria Unified School District Governing Board and two years as that board's president. And when I left the board in 2012, I said, I am never, ever, ever going to run for another elected office again, as long as I live. And lo and behold, in 2013, God called me and said I needed to run for superintendent of public instruction because at that time, that was the time frame when Common Core was taking over our schools. And whether they were good standards or bad standards, it was that the federal government controlled them that bothered me the most. So I ran against a 30-year politician incumbent of my own party, having told him if he'd get off the Common Core bandwagon, I, you know, I wouldn't run. And ultimately, I did run and served four years. I'm proud to have done it, but I truly believe God put me there to teach me our government schools can't be saved. They're hurting our children in ways that parents can't even begin to imagine. Oh my word. <laughs> okay. So tell me, let's let's go into what why can't the schools be saved? Tell me tell me what you saw as the superintendent and what's happening. It wasn't just what I saw it was as the superintendent, it's what I saw all along that way. And many people have come to me and said, you know, our our government school, our public education system is broken, we need to fix it. What many people don't realize is our government education system is doing exactly what it was designed to do. While I was doing all those other fun things as I went along through my daughter's education, I also started studying edu the American education system. What's its foundation? What was it created with? Um, in early colonial America, the schools were by churches. You know, they were private, and even though every child was expected to go, they were still not the government-run organization we see today. And that was until about, well, I'd say the early 20th century, but it really goes back to the middle 19th century. Um, and they started being taken over by the 
secular humanist cultural Marxists. Um, the Frankfurt School was actually where they went to study how we should educate our children. And Prussia, John Dewey and, and his ilk, as I call them. And the intent was, and they were very open about it, was to change America. And it's the funny thing about the left. They're always very open and tell us exactly what they're going to do and they tell us exactly how they're going to do it. And we never listen and we never believe them when they tell us those things. So it was designed. And I guess one of the most surprising things I learned when I became superintendent or over my tenure as superintendent, I've been politically active for 20 years. I've been a precinct committeeman for probably almost 20 years. I've served in different offices in our county and state party. So I did not go down there naive. But what I learned was that neither side of the aisle really wants to fix education. The left wants it as it is to indoctrinate our children and have them think about, to me, the greatest country on the face of the earth. They want them to think about it very differently, actually create a hate for our country um, through the education system. And the right just wants, they don't want them educated. They want them job trained. And that's all we talk about is college and career ready, college and career ready, and, and be prepared. But there's a very big difference between learning a job skill and being a well-educated person that knows how to, to discern truth and logic and reason. And that's not what we give our children anymore. So what does this mean for the students? and families. What it means for family, well, for both students and the family, they're not getting the education that they're entitled to. And here in Arizona, if you look at the numbers, and I'm no fan of standardized testing, but I've also seen the tests as a former superintendent, so I know if they've been taught a decent curriculum, they should be able to pass the English language arts test or the math test. And our kids aren't. They're failing at horrific rates. Um, I think the last numbers I saw was 56% or over 50% of our third graders can't read proficiently, can't do basic arithmetic proficiently. That's shameful. What kind of future are they ever going to have? And, you know, kindergarten through third grade, we talk about if you're not reading by third grade, it does impact the rest of your educational. But obviously, all of it does. If you can't do arithmetic, you can never go on to higher math. When I was on the school board, that was the complaint I heard from the algebra and geometry teachers. I can't teach kids algebra who don't know how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And they don't know how to do fractions. So how do we give our children a future if all we tell them is, you learn this tiny little bit of math, how it applies to whatever it might be, say they want to be an auto mechanic or whatever, an air conditioning repair person or whatever they may be. If you only learn that math in that context, you can't apply it to the rest of your life. I mean, when you think about it, balancing a checkbook is addition and subtraction. But yet so many parents complain that their children haven't learned that in school. Well, if they've learned the underlying foundational skill and not just to apply it in a certain particular way, they would know what they needed to do. And that's, going, that's what 
the left wants. They want to create a country of functional illiterates who are not capable of reasoning and logic because then they will just go along with whatever they're told. And I think we've seen some pretty strong examples of that over the past year. So where's the breakdown? And what do parents do about it? My suggestion to parents is get your children out. Do whatever you need to do, getting your child in a private school, um, a parochial school. If you're Christian, get them in a Christian school. If you're Jewish, get them in a Hebrew school. We have them, you know, here in Arizona, we do. Um, get them in there because that's more important than a car payment. And I don't mean to sound disingenuous to parents. I mean, I appreciate how parents struggled. We moved across the country so I could be home with my daughter and it's not easy. But look at what our schools have done. They've shut down almost for over a year. So parents, if you can do it now, while the schools are refusing to take your children in, you can keep doing it. That's number one. If you can, homeschool. There's lots of great programs out there. Our public school exit helps parents see, find the resources they need and get the resources they need. Um, charter schools, we have a very strong charter system here in Arizona. That's still government schooling, but it is one step further away and, and removed. But I had always said, as superintendent, if I got a magic wand for one day, and was told, no, Diane, you really can't use it for a day. You can only use it for one wish, and you can change one thing about education. What would you change? Absolutely no doubt in my mind, I would abolish the colleges of education because that's where it's all coming from. So how much of the um, comprehensive sex ed did you deal with as superintendent? Was this an issue when you were superintendent? What have you seen? Not um, not really while I was superintendent because it doesn't come from the Department of Ed. And, you know, in Arizona, they think the superintendent is, you know, you're the highest elected office officer over education in Arizona, but the job is really to run the Department of Education, to make sure the $10 billion or 11 or 12, whatever it is now, of funding through federal, state, local, and all that, through our formulas, gets to the schools and is used appropriately. Our state board of ed sets policy here, and the superintendent's only one vote on the state board of ed. So any policy we have for sex ed comes from the state board of ed or from statute, if our legislature has it in statute. Right now, they have said, yes, we can have sex education. Um, I don't think there are many on the Republican side that have a clue what comprehensive sex education is. We had quite the battle of it about it the year after I left office because we had a uh, uh, statute here in Arizona. And basically what it said was here in Arizona, you had to promote heterosexual marriages and monogamous and, and um, abstinence had to be in sex education and you could not promote a homosexual lifestyle. Well, my successor who came into office labeled it the no promo homo statute and made it her mission to get it abolished here in Arizona. And it's a long story, but ultimately, yeah, with 
within a couple of weeks, she literally got both sides of the aisle to repeal that. And it would have been a very easy fix. They said it was discriminatory to not um, advocate for children if they were homosexual. And I get discriminatory is the right word. So it needed to be taken out of statute. Well, a very easy fix would have been to just tell, to put into statute, we don't advocate for children to have any type of sexual relationships when they're minors, or you know, support monogamous marriage, but maybe not necessarily have heterosexual in there. Such an easy fix for our legislator, legislators, and we couldn't get anyone to, to move on it, so it was removed. And then it was very interesting how the State Board of Ed had to change their policies to now come in line with this change in statute. And so she was pushing very hard for it to be just scientifically, medically accurate, um, sex comprehensive sex education. Well, parents have no clue what that means. I mean, who wouldn't want any health information to be scientifically or medically accurate. Well, that has a whole different meaning in this day and age, and that's not what parents recognize. And I've been talking to people about this lately. You know, what was sex ed like when you were in school? And I'll tell you a funny story, and this is kind of very, not politically incorrect, but probably incorrect in this day and age. I remember sex education when I was in school. It was our senior year in high school. It was just with girls. The girls' head PE teacher taught it, a little health unit on sex ed. And the only thing I remember about it, I shouldn't, shouldn't laugh at this, but it was funny, was she would tell us how when she was pregnant, she used to sit her ashtray on her big belly and her baby would kick it off. You know, that was sex ed back then, you know, don't do this girls because this is not a good thing. And, you know, certainly now we know better than to do things like smoking when you're pregnant, but nonetheless, and when I talk to people who are, you know, have come not so, you know, further out of school by far than me, but it was in high school and it was biology related. Now we are literally giving children sexual instruction. You know, we haven't caught it here in Arizona, but in uh, California, there's literally classes where 10 year old girls, so fifth grade, if I calculate correctly, have races to put condoms on a statute of an erect male penis while boys are standing around the room. I heard a story from a friend of mine, her um, fourth grader came home from school crying. And she, just the other day, what's the matter? I don't want to tell you, I can't tell you, I'm too embarrassed. And he's, he's crying, you know, she's sobbing. And she finally, you know, trust mommy, you can tell mommy anything, blah, 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 blah. Sitting around the table, because we don't have desks in classrooms now, we have tables so they can collaborate and all that. Two little girls talking about penises and breasts in fourth grade. So we're now in Arizona trying to get a law passed that says you can't give children that type of instruction between kindergarten and fourth grade if you're going to have it, and no school district has to have it in Arizona. It's completely voluntary that they do that. It has to be fifth grade, fifth grade and up. But again, it's not biology. 
You know, our laws in Arizona say that you have to promote abstinence if you have a sex education program. Well, abstinence is now defined as any sexual activity that won't result in pregnancy. So oral sex, anal sex, is have very heavy petting, whatever the case may be, is fine as long as the girl can't get impregnated by it. Parents don't know that's going on. Thank you guys for joining us all the way to the end. If you would like to help support this mission and the movie, The Mind Polluters, you can do that by visiting our ministry website at fearlessfeatures.org and you can learn all the information there. Thank you guys. We will talk to you again on Thursday. Have a wonderfully blessed day. <laughs>